welcome to South Point. We're one church in two locations, and we're all about winning down the river to Christ. And if you're like um, new here or not a believer yet, just glad that you decided to join us. If you're watching online, good to have you too. Hope to see you in person very soon. Wherever you are in your spiritual journey, you know, if you're just starting out, you don't know a whole lot about God or the Bible or church, that's fine. We're, we've all been there. Our whole goal is to help you make sure you're heading in the right direction. So this is important what we're talking about today. You know, I, th- I think we all want our lives to count for something. We want our lives to have meaning, which is why so many people join causes. This is like the age of causes. Everybody wants to be a part of a great cause, and some causes are, are very good. Some, I think, are maybe a little misguided, but, you know, everybody wants to, to be a part of something bigger than themselves. So there, there are progressive causes where people are trying to change the social order for the better. Others are part of conservative causes where they want to uh, maintain or restore the social order to make it better. The uh, w- thing is, a lot of these causes, yes, they do have some political purposes to them, but underlying it all, there, there's a, a, a moral aspect to it or a justice aspect to it. And so on this uh, week of the calendar, there are a couple of major causes that I would point your direction to. They got started back in the 60s, kind of get, really got fired up in the 60s, I should say. Uh, of course, tomorrow is Martin Luther King Jr. Day, the time when we honor, recognize um, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., a great civil rights leader who um, spoke out and marched for racial equality, wanted to see that realized, and was willing to be arrested and imprisoned uh, many times and even paid for that belief with his life. But it's hard for us today to imagine the kind of times that he grew up in. For, for most of us, it's like a time of, how was that like? Have all that deseg- have that segregation and discrimination going on? That's like an unthinkable thing today, you know, to to be thought of as racist. But understand, a lot of people back then, uh, they were racist, but it's not like they were bad people. I mean, some of them were, but some is just like that's the culture they grew up in. That's the way they were raised. That's what the society had impressed on them. That the races are different and distinct, and they shouldn't be mixed. I know my, my own Mexican mother-in-law and her white husband experienced that kind of, um, you know, they were looked down on during those times. But Dr. King and others, you know, spoke up and they talked about the idea that God made us all in his image. And he loves us all equally. And we're, so we're brothers and sisters and Jesus died for us all. And so made a lot of progress in turning people around. Right? In, in fact, God has used, he's redeemed a lot of people who formerly were racist and their eyes were open to the truth. Another major cause that really took off in the 60s was the pro-life cause, right? When uh, there were some who were part of a cause to get abortion legalized in all 50 states and they were successful in a few of them. When it finally did get pushed to the Supreme Court, Roe versus Wade in 1973, January 22nd, um, that's what really pushed the the pro-life cause into the spotlight where we need to reverse that and uh, and, and try to march for life and speak out for life. And people have been doing that now for 47 years, trying to get that reversed. And the idea is saying, look, we're, we're, again, just like with racism, we're all made in God's image. We're all valuable in his sight. And, and now you have the tide turning against abortion in so many ways because of the advancements of medical technology. And you can see the development of life in the womb, and you have the stories of people like Abby Johnson. Uh, Abby's life was uh, p- 
put on screen last year in a devastating movie called Unplanned, where she had grown up in a home that uh, was Christian, and yet it, she ended up becoming, in her words, extremely pro-choice, had a couple of abortions herself, ended up directing a Planned Parenthood clinic. But it was one day when she was assisting in performing an abortion that she looked on the ultrasound screen and she saw that baby in the womb, you know, wincing away in, in pain and then being suctioned out, and her eyes were opened up. And she said, that's a baby, and, and I can't be a part of that any longer. And she returned to the faith of her childhood, became a believer, and joined the pro-life cause. So uh, that kind of story has helped open people's eyes. And we think now, how can people not see the truth? I mean, how I, I can understand it if they're not a believer in God or the Bible. But this idea, how can people not understand that these are human lives made in God's image. That you, How can you be for abortion or be racist when God has made us to be like him? To, and, and I think it's because before Jesus, we're all in the same boat. Our, our thinking is different. Our worldview is skewed. Our, our eyes are blinded. Our, our minds are clouded. Our hearts are darkened. And sometimes it takes a dramatic event to turn us around to have that moment of clarity. And that's what we're looking at in the book of Acts, this guy named Saul, who was doing what he thought was a good thing. He, he, he believed in God. He thought he was following God's cause by trying to stamp out Christianity, this new dangerous cult of Jesus followers. He was a devout Jewish guy, and we've got we've to get rid of this. So it wasn't like he, Saul was a bad guy, really. He was just very misguided. And that's what we're going to look at as we pick back up in Acts chapter 9. If you missed the first talk, watch it online, listen to the podcast. But we're, we're going to press on now to see what happens to Saul. And if you've got a Bible, you can welcome to read along with us, Acts 9, or you can look it up on your Bible app or, or just go online. Or if you don't have a Bible, we would love to give you one for free out in the lobby. Go to the VIP area or Info Central, pick up a free New Testament. But before we get into that story, I want to just give you a little bit of a visual of what it means to get misguided, to get misdirected, to go off course. So if you're a fan of The Office, then you'll remember this classic scene with Dwight and uh, Michael driving in the car. The machine knows. It knows. See, and the, you, you wind up in a bad place when you go off on your own. And that's where we are. A lot of people who are involved in things are not like just trying to be bad people. They're just misguided. That's the way they've been taught. That's the way they've been raised. That's what the culture impresses on them. They've been given some faulty directions. They're going off the world's GPS of material success and, and man-made religion and mixed-up ideas and secular philosophies because that's what has been enculturated into them. Saul's life had been mapped out like that from a very young age. He was being brought up, trained to be a devout Jewish scholar, Pharisee, teacher in Jerusalem in the first century. And everything was going according to plan until Jesus showed up and messed everything up, turned his world upside down. He made Saul's personal, he was so zealous for God. He's like, I'm going to get rid of these Christ followers because they're the ones who are misguided. They're the ones who are messed up. These people who claim to follow the way. So Saul becomes the prime persecutor. He becomes the first terrorist against Christians, the enemy of the church. And when Jesus gets a hold of him, turns his whole life around, messes his life up 
but in a really good way. Have you ever been there where he just, the Lord just turns everything upside down for you, everything you thought was good and right? You're like, oh, wait a minute, I was wrong. I mean, Saul was sincere, but he was sincerely wrong. Remember, because there's only two directions in life. There's God's way and there's my way. And only one of them's right. And if you're not going God's way, you're going the wrong way. No matter how sincere you are, it's the wrong way. So Saul converts. Dramatic life change. Now what? <laughs> Everything he thought was good and right has been swept aside. Lord, what do you want me to do now with my life? Uh, I, I have no direction anymore. I have no life purpose anymore. What do I do? Have you ever been there? Lord, uh, all that stuff I was doing, now I realize that it wasn't the, the right stuff. Maybe you were doing good stuff even. Maybe you were successful. But you're realizing now, well, that, that, that was it. That wasn't meaningful. That wasn't significant. I, there was, it wasn't fulfilling. Which is why I think several years ago, remember when that book came out? It became the best, second best-selling book of all time besides the Bible. It's called The Purpose Driven Life. Remember that? By Rick Warren, this pastor and, and author. And it just spread all over the country, all over the culture, really the world. Because people want to have a sense of purpose. They're asking, God, what on earth am I here for? What did you make me for? I mean, what does my life have meaning? What difference can I make? What do you want me to do, Lord? And of course, we find that the, the answer ultimately is found in Jesus and in our big idea that God's given you a new life purpose. So start serving him. If you're not serving him, then you're missing out on your purpose in life. God didn't save you just to take you to heaven. He saved you so that your life could have meaning right here and now, that you can make a difference. You were made for His glory. You were made for His pleasure. You were made for His mission. It's not about you. It's about Him. And so God had already chosen Saul for a purpose. He specifically picked him out to be His messenger. Remember back in Acts 9.15, God said, This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and to the kings and to Israel. And that's what Saul does. He ends up becoming the great missionary and church planter. And he writes most of the letters of the New Testament. This guy who used to persecute Christians now spreads Christianity far more than any other person throughout history. This guy's life, this conversion has impacted the world more than any other life other than Jesus himself. This guy who's trying to get rid of Christians is now making more Christians than anybody because his life took on a whole new direction. It has a whole new meaning. And so he's learning the way. So we're picking back up now in Acts 9 in verse 19. It says there, Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. Now, I want to stop there real quick because he went there to, to do what? He went there to lock up Christians. He ends up becoming a Christian, and they take him in. The people he was going to lock up says, hey, you're one of us now. And he's a baby Christian. We all start out there as baby Christians, right? We need other people around us to help us, to encourage us, to teach us, to just to fellowship with us, because it's, it's all about growth. But the thing is, we don't want to stay in the cradle too long. We can't stay babies forever. We need to grow up ourselves so that we can learn to help, encourage, and, and teach others. And that's what Saul does. Next thing you know, verse 20, it says that once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. I love that. But this guy doesn't waste any time. He's right out there 
telling people about Jesus, even though he's, he's a brand new Christian himself. Were you like that when you first became a believer? I love that. It's so fresh to you. It's so new. You're so excited about the difference he's made in your life that you're just out there telling everybody about Jesus. You don't know much, but you want them to know, right? And so you might get a little bit pushy, might be a little bit overzealous, might not know what you're talking about. You're like the guy that Jesus healed, you know, a blind guy, made him see again. And that guy said, I don't know much about Jesus, but this I know, he healed me, you know, and that's all you know. And so that's, that's what Saul is doing here. He's saying, Jesus is the one that literally opened my eyes physically and spiritually. So I love that when new believers, they're sometimes the best evangelists. Because I mean, sometimes we think, well, they need to wait. They need to grow up. They need to mature in their faith several years before they go out and tell people about Jesus. They've got to study and learn. You've got, you got to know all the Bible before you start talking about it. No, go out now while you're still excited it's new you're right you're you're a living object lesson like Saul you're like if he can save me he can save you too people in your life your friends relatives co-workers are like what happened to you right they see the difference they wonder what's going on they, they want what you've got so don't say stay cocooned in some church subculture for years and years and years just hang around Christians get out there let them know. Even if you don't know everything, let them know about Jesus. Okay, so verses 21 and 22 says, All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? And yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus isn't, is the Messiah. So, it's like, isn't this the guy who was killing preachers and now he's one of them? Isn't this the guy who hated Christ and now he loves Christ? It's just an unbelievable conversion. And you know that Saul is not only telling, hey, here's what Jesus did for me, but remember how God wants to redeem parts of you? He wants to use them for his purposes? Like parts of you, he just, mm -mm, God rejects and removes those from your life. But other parts he redeems. And for Saul, he's going to redeem all that heritage, all that education, all that brilliant scholastic intellect he's going to put to use and use to prove that Jesus is the Messiah. How? Because Saul knew the scriptures so well. You know he's going back and pointing out all those prophecies from the Jewish scriptures. He said, see, see, that was Jesus. That was Jesus. He was prophesied all along. And if God can do this for me, he can do it for you. Maybe you've experienced that. Your friends, your relatives, your coworkers, and they're like, what in the world has happened to you? You are not the same person I knew before. And you're like, well, I, I love Jesus now. Who are you? Right? It's just so amazing, astounding to them. But I don't want to downplay the fact that you do need time to grow. I don't want to say just go out and spout off you know, <laughs> endlessly. you got to grow too, okay? You can walk and chew gum. You need to study and learn as well. And that's what Saul is going to do because there's a little bit of a time gap here we, we don't see in the book of Acts. Acts is like a condensed version. Later on, Saul, and I'm using this Hebrew name Saul. I understand he also goes by Paul. We better know him as the Apostle Paul. That's his Roman name. When he writes a letter to the Galatians, he says, by the way... Right after this, I left Damascus and I went off into Arabia for three years. Okay, Acts doesn't mention that. And we're not talking about Saudi Arabia today, but just east of the Holy Land. Why? To go hang out with Jesus for three years. And some of you say, wow, you know, I can't spend 10 minutes with Jesus. I mean, talk about an extended encounter time with the Lord. Three years alone with Jesus. 
Why? Well, because he needs to learn and grow. The original 12 apostles, they had spent three years with Jesus, right, in his ministry. Saul, he, Paul is becoming the 13th apostle. He needs three years too, learning in seminary with Professor Jesus, right, just studying the word. He says, I didn't get my gospel from men. He never even met the other apostles. For three years, he didn't even know those guys. All he knew was getting direct revelation from Jesus himself to prepare for ministry. I totally get that, that you need time because I, I grew up in church. You know, I, I became a Christian at a very young age. I decided to go into the ministry when I was just a sophomore in high school. So, you know, I was like a witness for Jesus, but I wasn't ready for that full-time ministry. I wasn't ready to be a real teacher or a leader yet. I needed time to study and learn and grow. And so I went off to Bible college and seminary for seven years. I spent there preparing to get education experience to be able to be a full-time minister, right? You think, oh, seven years. Well, you could have used that seven years to go out and do all kinds of other stuff for the Lord. No, wait a minute. That's important time. In fact, I remember reading several years ago the famed evangelist Billy Graham, guy who probably won more people to Christ than any other person in history. You know, he was talking about his major regrets in life. He says, one of my biggest regrets is not that I didn't go off and preach in more places, but that I... I would have spent more time with the Lord alone, studying, reading, learning, and hearing from him. I get that. So three years, and then he returns back to Damascus, more knowledgeable, more powerful, causing more reactions. In fact, he notes in that same Galatian letter he wrote, he says, some of the people there are saying this, the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And what they do? They praised God because of me. Well, not all of them. Some people were praising God. It's kind of like Kanye today, right? When Kanye became a, a Christian, people were like, what? What's going on with him? I mean, his whole lifestyle was so different. All the stuff he talked about was so different. And, and some people are like praising God that he's a Christian now. And others are like, oh, man, Kanye's lost it. No, they don't want anything to do with him anymore. And that's the way it is with Saul. It's like the people that he used to hang with, the Jewish people are like, we don't want any part of that guy anymore. In fact, we got to shut him down. we got to get rid of him, which is what Saul would have thought not that long ago himself. He said, we got to shut these people down. So we go back to Acts 9, verse 23. And it says, <clears throat> after many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan, and day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through the opening in a wall, which, you know, had to be terrifying that they're all out to kill him now. And a little bit humiliating, too, grown man getting into a basket and having to escape that way. It's just... The irony of it all, the hunter becomes the hunted, the persecutor becoming the persecuted, the guy who caused so much suffering to other people now is on the receiving end of that suffering. But this kind of stuff is still going on all over the world. Christians are being persecuted like this. They're, they're being hunted down. They're being shackled up. They're being thrown in prison. And some of them can't escape like Saul did. Some missionaries, they just have to leave. They got to get away. They got to escape so they can live another day to preach somewhere else. But a lot of Christians can't escape. They have to go underground. But they still are, are horribly discriminated against or abused. And there's absolutely no escape for these Christians. And so if you want to be a part of a cause, that's a good one right there, the persecuted church. To, to be aware, to raise awareness, to support, to pray for our 
brothers and sisters around the globe, go to a place like Voice of the Martyrs, persecution.com, or others, and make that your, your cause. So Saul, he gets to escape. Where does he go? He heads off to Jerusalem. He's finally going to go meet the apostles. He certainly can't go back to his old friends. Can't run with the people he used to. Maybe you've been there. Like, you know, I'd like to hang out with my old friends again. But they don't want any part of me anymore. My friends really flipped on me. Even my family. My family, once I became a Christian, man, it was just totally upside down. Not only am I on the outs with them, but I'm opposed by my own family. But in verse 26, it says, When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. All right, I can't, I can't hang out with my old friends, with the, the Jewish believers anymore, so I'm going to go hang out with the Christians. But they were all afraid of him not believing that he was really a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. Now, again, maybe you've been there too. I can't go back to my old way of life, so I'm going to join in with the church. I'm going to be a part of this Christian thing. But even there... You have trouble getting in and fitting in. These Christians are still afraid of Saul. Come on, he was, he was the key enemy. If This can't be real. I mean, they'd heard rumors, they'd heard stories, but they're still very suspicious. Maybe, maybe Saul is really just a double agent, right? He's just trying to infiltrate the church so he can scope out who, who to pick off. And that's what goes on again in many parts of the world. Remember in the Soviet Union... Spies would often be sent into the church to infiltrate it so they would know who they could lock up and who they could, they could shut down. And that's, that's still going on in countries around the world today. Saul, he's trying to get into the church, but they're keeping him at arm's distance. Because, you know, you want to believe the best about somebody like that. You want to you give them the benefit of the doubt, but you don't want to be naive either. you got your radar up. You're looking for all the red flags. Kind of like today, you know, churches, we have security teams, and they're always on the lookout. Like, you know, they had, it was like, okay, somebody's coming in, scoping them out, making sure, you know, what's under that trench coat, what's in that backpack kind of thing. Thank God they're there to protect us. But we've got it really easy here in this nation, in this culture, around the world. You have to be really careful who you let into your church because they, they could be somebody coming to take you down. But how many of you have experienced this where you, you get rejected by Christians, your brothers and sisters, you want to be a part of it, but somehow you just don't fit in. You're like a man without a clan. You don't fit into your old world. You don't fit into this new world yet. Your old friends don't like your changes. The Christians, they don't really believe the changes. And for Saul, you know, this, that's what he's experiencing here. And it took some other guy named Barnabas coming along, taking him under his wing, saying, here, I'll bring you. I'll bring you in. I'll vouch for you. I've seen your, the fruit in your life. I've, I'll, I'll take the risk. And I'll convince them that you're the real deal isn't that awesome to have somebody in your life like that a Barnabas who is there to just welcome you and accept you who is willing to take a risk on you take you under his wing and and introduce you around to others wouldn't it be awesome to have a church full of people like that Barnabases who make you just welcome and new Christians need that new guests need that um Remember this guy's name, actually we saw already, his name really was Joseph. 
but he got nicknamed Barnabas because it means son of encouragement. It's so awesome to have encouragers like that who will invite you into their group, who will invite you onto their ministry team, who will sit next to you in church, who will invite you out for a meal. What a difference it would make in our church if, if everybody here was a Barnabas like that, encouragers like that. Next week, we're starting this new semester of groups. Invite somebody into your group. If you're not in a group yet, take a chance. I know you're, you're kind of hesitant, like, I'm not sure if I'm going to fit in there. And chances are you probably will. But even if you don't, that's okay. Because sometimes it's being around people who aren't like you that challenges you and makes you grow. And in a group, you're going to grow closer to the Lord. You're going to experience community. You're going to learn how to understand and apply the Bible. So sign up online. Go out in the lobby to the table there. Find a group. And, and if you don't fit into that one right away, that's, give it time. But eventually, find a group. You'll find a group eventually where you'll be a good fit. So we go back to verse 28. And it says... So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. Again, we've got a good in this nation. We don't have to worry about it. We can go out and we can speak freely and boldly all we want, but do we? <laughs> How bold are we in telling people? Now, Saul's going to talk to people who are kind of like him, these Hellenistic Jews. In other words, Jews who spoke the Greek language, had kind of adopted Greek culture. It says he talked and debated debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. There you go again, man. Everybody's trying to kill Saul. When the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to his hometown of Tarsus. So another escape. Got to get out of there because everybody wants him dead. Here's the thing. Saul is unstoppable. He is a man on a mission. Doesn't matter who's opposed. He's going to talk. He's going to speak out. And some people, all you got to do is, is just talk to them. Other people, you got to debate them. Saul debated people, and we think today is, oh, we don't want to debate people. We don't want to get people upset. We don't want to offend anybody. We're not going to debate them. Debate them. Some people need to be debated. Now, I'm not saying get into a hostile argument with anybody. That's not going to work. But you just, you lay out the evidence and the facts. You answer their questions. You rebut their opinions. But you let God work on their heart. You're never going to argue anybody into the kingdom. But you, sometimes people need to be convinced and God will do the rest. But again, sometimes you're going to get a negative reaction. No matter how well you do it, people are not going to like it, right? They're going to be shocked. They're going to be angry. So here they're trying to kill Saul again. He escapes. And so we go to verse 31. In fact, this is such a great verse. I love this. We need to read this all out loud together. All right, here we go. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It increased in numbers. Oh, man, one of the few times where there's a lull in persecution, right? I mean, most often there's always some kind of problem going on. But I love to see that the church is growing during that time in quantity and in quality. They're growing spiritually and in numbers, during this wonderful time. And you know, it's great when we're, our church goes through a time of peace. Everything's rolling along smoothly, no problems. But hang on to your hats because you know it's coming. There's always going to be a storm that blows through, either inside or outside, that's going to try and take us off course. But we'll continue to be strengthened by the Holy Spirit. We'll be encouraged because he'll be teaching us, guiding us through his word. And I think that's what might be lacking in so many churches and in so many of our lives today is we don't have that fear 
and obedience to the Lord. That holy reverence and awe of the sacred. Not that we're bad. We just get a little misguided. We get off track and we begin to think that this, this whole faith and church thing is all about me. What can you do for me? We're, we, we come to church when it's convenient, when we feel like it, when we know it's going to be entertaining. But if you bore me, I'm out of here. We're here to get, like, get our senses stimulated, to get inspired, to get therapy and all those things. And nothing wrong with those things. Nothing wrong with being entertained and inspired and all that. But it can't be about me. It's got to be about the Lord. It's got to be about reverencing Him. Not, not all the stuff giving him his due reverence. And when we live in that kind of obedience and, and awe of the Lord, we're going to experience that kind of strengthening, that kind of encouragement. Do we, let's not take God too lightly, too conveniently, too cavalierly. Let's take God seriously. Let's take our life purpose seriously. God, what do you want me to do? Because we can be involved in a lot of causes. Some of them good, some of them maybe a little misguided. But no matter what other cause you're involved in, God's already given you the most important cause in the world. You're a part of the cause of Christ, and nothing can take precedence over that. He didn't save you just to take you to heaven, but he left you here so that you could take as many people with you to heaven as you can. You are here for his glory, for his pleasure, for his purpose. In fact, if you really want to make this world a better place, Whatever cause you're a part of, that's only going to last a short time. Whatever you do for Christ will last forever. And if you really want to change the world, it happens best by changing people, changing individual lives one heart at a time. And you do that with the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus that changes peoples, that opens their eyes, that changes their worldview, that unclouds their mind and lightens their heart. God's given you a new life purpose. So start serving him. And some of you are already doing that. And it's so awesome to see the difference you're making, how you're reaching out, how you're, you're contributing, you're meeting needs, and you're doing that all in the name of Jesus, following in the footsteps of Saul, your world changers, you're winning down river to Christ. And I'm saying if you're not a part of that yet, get on board, man, or else you're going to miss out on what God's put you here. Use the gifts that he's given you, the talents, the resources, in the name of Jesus, to reach people, to help them find the way. You got a new life. Get a new purpose. Get a testimony of how God is using you. And you say, well, I can never be like Saul. I can't go out there and debate people, and I don't know much, and I, I can't be a great evangelist and all that. That's okay. Maybe you're more of a Barnabas. Just grab somebody around the shoulder and bring them. Just bring them to the Lord. You can do that. Next week, who are you going to bring? Next week as we get back into, we're going to look at Peter now and how God can reverse the most hopeless situation. you got a hopeless situation going on in your life, your family. you got a friend who's in a hopeless situation. Make sure that they're back here next week. Let God redirect your life and mess you up real good. Let's pray about that. God, we want to thank you for um, messing us up, Lord, for turning us around and opening our eyes and... God, I want to thank you for the example of Saul. He gives us hope that what you did for him, you can do for anybody. Help us to be people like him on a mission, unstoppable. Lord, help us to uh, discover our gifts, 
and uh, figure out our ministry so that we can further your kingdom, meet needs, make a difference for eternity. God, we want, we want to pray for, for other causes too. I mean, we do pray that, that um, unborn children would be allowed to live, that racism would, would die, that uh, the persecuted church around the world would, would be kept safe. God, you give them courage. But we know all those other causes are, are, you know, it comes from having our hearts changed by Jesus Christ. Help us to do that for others. Help us to, to live in such a way that people notice a difference in us and they say, what's going on with you? And, and what you've got, I want. Give us boldness to talk to them. Give us open doors to witness to them, to share our testimony, even to debate them if that's what's needed, Lord. And show them Jesus is the way. And Father, make us... Make us a church full of Barnabases, full of encouragers. Give us a time of peace and encouragement so you strengthen us in our faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so I'm going to ask you, do you have a cause? A cause worth living for? A cause worth dying for? Only one cause really fits that, and that's the cause of Christ. I'm going to invite you to join Team Jesus. Man, if you've never done that before, you can come today and meet with one of my friends in the next few minutes or after the service. They're going to be waiting for you so that they can help you confess that, yeah, I believe that Jesus is God's son. I'm ready to make a 180 U-turn in my life, man. I'm going to repent. I'm going to be baptized into Christ today. We're ready for you. There's no reason you have to put it off to some other time. Maybe you need to be redirected in some other way. You need wisdom and guidance. I'll pray for you. Um, whatever way we can help you, 